Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Aris Dejan, checking in. This is the Who and How Club podcast. You know the slogan, you are the Who and How Club. I am the Who and How Club, and we are the Who's and How's of this world. Without you, without me, there is no we. I am checking in with you on a Thursday. It is June 17th. Last week, we uh, we pretty much returned to the podcast space with our uh, 51st episode, our welcome back episode. On that episode, I mentioned that I would be sharing my first guest spot episode uh, this week. Um, so it isn't necessarily a who and how club episode, but uh, it is my first guest spot of 2021. Um, back in March, I was on the All In podcast with uh, Rick Jordan. Uh, look them up. I am going to tag them in all of the promos for today. I'll also leave their show uh, links in the description of this episode. But I've been meaning to share it with you. Now, there are some deep things on this episode. Rick got me to open up. It was really cool to speak to uh, speak with another male, uh, an adult male uh, in a safe space sort of environment. And uh, he really got me to open up about some things. And uh, we laughed. We joked. Um, there were serious moments and it's about like 45 minutes, you know, 45 minute episode of just getting to know who I am and him and I going back and forth and shooting the shh. So, um, I really want you all to enjoy it cause I feel like you'll learn some things, not only about, you know, life stuff, but also about me. You know, I feel like with this with the show, you know, I bring a lot of people on onto the show. You learn a lot about me, but not in this sort of realm where someone's literally asking me questions and interviewing me. So uh, I think it's important for you all to get a dose of me in this sort of format. So enjoy the episode. Uh, again, that podcast is the All In Podcast with Rick Jordan. Rick is a great dude. They sent me the visuals and everything like that, so I'm going to be posting the the visual episode as well on the YouTube channel. Remember to follow uh, the Who and How Club on all socials. Who How Club, uh, even on YouTube, just type in Who How Club. You'll come up. Uh, you'll come across the page with all the visuals and stuff like that. All right. Without further ado, here's my guest spot episode on the All In Podcast with Rick Jordan. I'll check in with all of you next week for episode 52 of the Who and How Club podcast. Be safe, stay safe, love yourself, and love others. All right. One. It's like you take on the shame of the other people that they're projecting upon you. Hey, what's shake and welcome back to All In, the amazing podcast with your host, Rick Jordan. That's me. And today I've got a writer, recording artist, poet, sometimes dancer, which is kind of interesting, model and host creator of the Who and How Club podcast, Eris Dijon. Welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> what was me, that, right? man? Woo! I dig that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little tag. That's a little tag, you know? I like it. I like it, brother. I Thank like it a lot. Yeah. I, I was about to read some more into that, but you know, You've had a lot of life challenges, my man, like not knowing who your biological father is growing up, right? And foster care and being abused. Uh, yeah. I mean, not knowing who my father is, is pretty much, imagine just like not knowing a, a piece of you, you know, like where you come from. 
Like, it's just like a total question mark, you know? And it kind of plays into like the who and how club theme, because if you look at the logo, a lot of people don't know what the logo represents, but it's actually two question marks uh, joined together. Oh, that's cool. Who who and how, right? And yeah, uh, I can see that now. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So throughout my life, it's there, there are many question marks and not knowing who my biological father is, has been one of those question marks Yeah, um, and a running theme. (laughs) I really want to dive into that because it's, I'm sure it's a thing that there's a lot of people in, in the country, in the world kind of grapple with, you know, and the first, the who and how club, that's not your only gig, right? What else do you do? So that's my, it's, it's a creation of mine that I brought to life Um, outside of like my artistic endeavors. I am in the social services field. So I I work, I have like a quote unquote nine to five, Uh, but I look at everything as art. So I, uh, I manage uh, a homeless shelter in the city of Toronto. Um, so I've always, I've always been involved in the social services field. So that's, that's my full time, so to speak. And then on the other side of things, I do my podcast, uh, I'm in music and recording and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm always into the arts somehow, somewhere. Yeah. Dude, is there any correlation do you think between what you're doing in social services and growing up, not knowing who your father was? 100% because, uh, you know, growing up in foster care, you know, from ages 13 to 18, I had a lot of social workers and the workers would, you know, change very often, you know, and it's like always, you always have to restart and telling your story to like this new individual that's being introduced to you. And I always said to myself, like, I want to grow up. And I don't think the workers that would come into my life uh, very so often would understand how much that would affect me. Like, oh, I just built a relationship with somebody and now they're gone, they're on vacation or they've gotten a new position. Now I got to reintroduce myself to this new individual. And it would affect me a lot. But I always said that I didn't want to do that to somebody else. Like I, I wanted to to get into the field and not do that to somebody else, another young person, you know what I mean? Cause I knew how it felt. Um, so I wanted that consistency and I wanted to be consistent, consistent in somebody else's life. So I always said, I wanted to get in the field in somehow, some way. And, uh, through that experience, I ended up just, yeah, working my way up and getting into the field. Because That's of incredible. It, yeah. And you said the social work you're in is in homelessness right now or homeless prevention. In the, I homeless, know in the yeah. homeless sector. Yeah. I used to work with youth yeah. and then I got into the homeless sector working with families, then, you know, single men and women and, you know, newcomers to the country, stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah. It's interesting how you're talking about, you know, the ability of those individuals, you know, and in essence, I guess, you know, a social worker can kind of be a mentor, at least for a season in someone's life. And I was in social services, if you want to call it that, for a little while, but it was just where my pay was funneled through in this project I was on. And I saw, in my experience, that because I wasn't actually doing the social service work, I was on the back end tech side, gathering data, building databases in order to gain bigger grants from the federal government. That was what I was doing, you know? So I was like the, the revenue producer in that essence using tech. But when I saw a lot of these individuals who were in social services, the actual caseworkers, you saw completely two different sides of the spectrum in a lot of people. You know, you you saw those individuals that were very much like you, you know, that had somebody that impacted their lives, that went through some crap themselves. And that's why they were in this, because they really wanted to help each other. But then way on the other side of the spectrum were those that were just as disgruntled and depressed as people that were walking in the door for help. And I never understood why they wanted to subject themselves 
to that type of thing. Because think about, it, I'm sure you saw this, man. Because if you're homeless, for the most part, you're probably not in a good state of mind. There's probably some depression that's going on. Rick, you just took the word out of my mouth. I was gonna out of my brain. I was gonna say it's a depressing field to be in. It's hard to manage your own mental health when you're, you know, you're dealing with so many personalities on a daily basis. And these personalities are very unique. They're not your everyday personalities, people who require your support in some form or fashion, right? And, uh, you know, they themselves are dealing with some mental health issues and they're on the spectrum. They don't know, they don't even know how to identify their issues. And these are people who are older than me. They're, they could be my uncle or my dad, let's say, right? Or my mom or whatever. So, um, you forget how to deal with your own personality at the end of the day, because it's like, I just dealt with like a hundred people. Who am I? <laughs> Who am I after dealing with all of that? Like you think you have issues. Mm -mm. What, the issues you think you have are not, or you can't compare them. You know what I mean? So it is a depressing field. So to speak, you see a lot, you get exposed to a lot. Um, but taking care of yourself at the end of the day is, is, is a focus that, needs to be present when you're in this field. But so a lot of people forget that. And that's why you see a lot of people who are burnt out in the field because they forget to take care of themselves, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of service industries that are that way too, because, uh, you know, I've defined, you know, even the avatar in my industry in cybersecurity, at least when it comes to corporate IT support, you know, because I was in that, uh, that role too. And obviously it's not anything to compare to homelessness or a social worker, but it's still kind of the same mentality in the respect that these are individuals that are dealing with people's problems all day long. So that they, they both can be very, very depressing fields. You know, when, when you're going through that, and I guess almost any service industry where you're dealing with people that are walking in your door that have issues. I mean, think about, I don't know, a customer service rep with T-Mobile. You know, I'm, mm. I'm sure all the, <laughs> I'm sure all the phone calls that they oh, yeah. receive are oh, not, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, can Customers you just change yeah. my plan for me? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Can, you know, I just need to, you know, the best ones, right? The you know, I just need to add a line, you know, the, the easy sales. Oh, sure. No problem. Yeah. I can help you. Versus a lot of times like WTF, my phone's not working yesterday, you know, the entire day. And I need money. I need a credit. I need those $3 prorated, you know, and that's <laughs> what they deal with day in and day out. How do you handle that stuff, you're man? When you're dealing with, you're dealing with people. When we're in the business of <laughs> yes. people, like even yourself, you're, you're a complex individual when you think of yourself. So imagine being in the service industry where you're serving other beings who have their own brains, their own perspectives, their own hearts, their own uniqueness, whether it's in, in the homeless sector or like you said, like in the customer service field or T-Mobile or wherever, like you're dealing with people and that requires a certain amount of finesse. <laughs> <laughs> and skill in order to deal with another That's human an being. understatement, look, man. That look at look at relationships, you know, and, and you're dealing with another person. We forget about that. Like, it, it's it's a weird concept to grasp, you know. It is e even when you're working with, uh, you know, let, let's say, you know, I got a, a speeding ticket for the first time in like 20 years, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, right? And I'm telling the guy, you know, the, the cop as he pulls up and he's like, dude, you were, I, I, I clocked you doing 87 and the speed limit's like 60. I'm like, I was in, I was in Utah and I'm going down this hill and the mountain just literally got away from me because my mind was on other things, you know, and, and I'm sitting there, to, I, mean, I mean, I'm talking to him, you know, I'm like leaning in the side window and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really so sorry. 
you know, and I swear, you know, I, I have not had a speeding ticket since I was 16 years old. And of course, then they look at you <laughs> like, it's like, well, I'm just going to go check that out, you know, and th yeah, but then yeah, I yeah, just yeah. Yeah. They brush it off. I know. Right. But then I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking about this from their perspective, too, you know, because it, there is there should be respect for authority. But still, even being a cop man is like a people business. It's the same thing. You know, and these should there be justice reform? Yeah. And, you know, we're not going down the political route, but still, even in that, it's it's still a people business. That's probably one of the biggest people businesses people that business. exists. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And he was exactly. he was a nice guy, even though I directly asked him to finish all my story. I'm like, dude, can you just let me off with a warning? Because did I'm you actually get the ticket or not? Yeah. Oh, I got the ticket. Oh, <laughs> I got the ticket. Oh, my God. He was a, <laughs> see, I, I got. It's funny, Rick, this, a very similar situation happened to me like a few months back. And uh, I, thankfully, I, wa I got away with a warning because I had never been stopped for speeding. And the, the limit was 40 and I was going like 50 and he still stopped me. He was actually like posted on the corner of where I work. So I was just turning into work and he caught me and he's like... Uh, you know, you give them that story and they probably hear that uh, the story oh, of course they do. a yeah. hundred times a day. Yep. So they're not trying to hear it. But if only they knew this is the first time I'm being stopped. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they yep. but they they kind of, you know, they've, they've heard it all. They've seen it all, you know, so. Yeah, it's pretty insane. man. I, I'm sure that's how he was thinking. But, you know, back to the people business side of stuff. I mean, that's that's really what what all this is, you know. So when you're dealing with social worker, you know. I am. Um, I'm hearing like some clicking in the background. Some yeah, stuff I was going. just about to say, Rick. Listen, my dog. He does. The, he's like a. He knows when I'm on, when I'm recording. Does he really? <laughs> because he does this every time. Prior to this, so he's prior drinking to me, water. Said, She's drinking water. Yeah. What? No, he. I put him in his crate in his room yeah. just to chill out for a little. But he does this every time. Like, but prior to this, he was quiet. Like. <laughs> like it's like he knows I'm working. Like it's ridiculous. I wanted to ask you because because yeah. we were talking about depression. Like, yeah. can you can you uh, share a time in your life where maybe you were depressed or you faced some sort of depression? Yeah, man. Uh, it was uh, shoot. I think six years ago now, almost six years ago, when I started going through this health battle, and it was something that was very legitimate. The the end of the story was that I had a gangrenous gallbladder. I mean, like dead, black, necrotic. You know, that was sucking life out of me because this was dead. But eight months I went through and, it, you know, it, this comes back to like the people. But, you know, I've never talked about it from this aspect. Actually, this is cool because uh, I've told the story before. But the people business side of this, I went through eight months of doctor to doctor with them not being able to figure out what was wrong with me, you know, and then just dishing it off to anxiety and depression. And at first, I'll say at first it was not that at all. You know, because I'm like, there's something physically wrong with me. Yeah, I yeah. know it is. I'm listening to my body, you know, and then they kept throwing this anxiety and depression stuff at me. And I'm like, you know, I don't feel like my body doesn't feel the way it feels because of how I'm mentally focused right now or, or mentally just blown out of my mind, you know, which is what they were pretty much telling me. I mean, doing MRIs to my brain and everything. I'm like, it's the reverse, you know, I'm feeling the way I do because of whatever's going on in my body. Yes. You know, and they couldn't grasp that for several months until there was like this shift because, dude, it was, and th this has to do probably even with social workers and everything else because it was like opinion after opinion, doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist of hearing the same depressing thing. And it's like, oh, well, everything looks fine. So it must be in your head. Mm. Yeah. And you start to, when you're in that kind of environment, 
you know, constantly and just this oppressive environment, you start to believe this stuff that people are telling you. You know, and even though I never was that way, so then there was this point to where I I did cross over to where now, yeah, man, I was clinically depressed. I had issues with anxiety. I'd wake up in the middle of every single night with the room spinning, thinking that I'm just going to die right then because I didn't know what was going on until finally that environment thing that I'm talking about. I removed myself from everything and I went to Florida and dude, removing myself from all that oppressive environment of the doctor's visits and them telling me that there was something fucked up in my head. And that's the reason why things were happening the way that they were is it was all right up here. Yes. You know, which was stupid. It was bullshit. Yeah. yeah. But finally, when I removed myself from that environment and just took a minute to breathe is when I actually could, could feel the pain right here. Mm. So it's almost like because of this environment that I was in that I became numb, like yes. desensitized yes. because of people and yes. that lack of people service from the doctors that I was seeing. You know, and some of them, they were pretty genuine, you know, but what are they going to do? You know, it's like they only they only tunnel visioned. And that can happen in caseworkers, too. Right. In, yes. in social work, they can yes. tunnel vision and only see maybe one tiny symptom of what's yes. going on in that individual's life. Yes. Yes. And they don't look at the big picture. And when you're when you create that environment for somebody, you're doing them a disservice. I know what happened to me, man, and that's how I ended up getting depressed. But it was when I removed myself from that oppressive environment, took two weeks to like sunny Florida in the middle of December is when I was finally able to clear my head and actually think, oh, man, and literally feel the pain. The first time I literally felt the pain. It's like, it's right there, guys. Look right here. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now I wanted to add, cause I feel like you, you just speaking with you, you would agree with something like this. You know how powerful the mind is. Yeah. Did you, did you ever feel like there was some sort of truth to what they were saying about it being all in the head? Because I do feel like we do psych ourselves out and might get sucked into these rabbit holes with, with our minds, you know, like our mind, our mind has a mind of its own. And if we don't control it, then it'll control us at, at some points. Like I could be, I could say I'm guilty of that. You know what I mean? A lot of my depression came from my thoughts and my, my worries and stuff like that. So did you at, at one point feel that there might've been some truth to the mind and how you were thinking of everything and might've brought you down? You bet. Yeah. I mean, there, there was no doubt physically that I was, that I was close to death. I mean, even when the surgeon pulled it out and, you know, it was a 45 minute standard surgery that turned into three hours by hand. You know, so it was, and he's, he was saying that, you know, w- within another day, I would have just been gone. You know, so there was legitimate physical stuff that was going on, but, but <laughs> a lot of the stuff that was going on with me was going through this process and it was my mind. I know it was, that was attracting this. And, you know, I could even maybe argue that because you, you hear of people that heal themselves from cancer with their mindset, right? And the mind's so super powerful, man. You know, and individuals, you know, let's even talk about COVID. You know, there's individuals that I've talked with that have had just a, a, a depressing outlook on their prognosis. This whole situation. Yes, yeah. And yes. they end up having one of the more serious cases. You know, but then there's those who are like, you know, <laughs> there was a, an investor actually who just invested in my company that caught it. And I was having dinner with him and he was saying, you know what, I went through this and I started saying, it was like, COVID is my friend. COVID is my friend. And I'm like, dude, that sounds a little nuts. You know, and, and he goes, but look at what happened, man. He's like, I ended up having a closer relationship with my son because my son took care of me for a couple of days. 
You know, I ended up just being able to pause my life because what am I going to do, you know, and literally just take a breath in those moments and just appreciate life for what it was. So I just kept saying COVID is my friend. And this is a guy that was slightly overweight. You know, he was probably in the higher risk category because he was around 60 years old. But then he ended up bouncing back from it in like 48 hours and going skiing again the next week. You know, and this is what was in Vancouver, BC. And it was just amazing to hear how his mindset affected the severity of his illness. At least he thought that was the case. You yes. Know, so yes, to yeah, answer. It's, different for, it it's is. different for everyone, especially for, look at the people who just haven't been able to work, right? Yeah, we can yeah. only imagine what their depression is like right now or how this yeah. thing has affected them. Like it's easy for some of us to speak about it and say, oh, you know, we've changed our mind frame around this because some of, for some of us, a lot of things haven't really changed. But for the majority, their people's lives have changed drastically. So they're on the downhill, no matter how much they try to change their frame of mind around it. It's like they're not, you know, there was someone who posted something on my Instagram today. He was someone that I went to, to school with and he just he went on Instagram live to express just how this thing is really affecting him not being able to go outside. And, you know, he cried online for the for, like he just he's like a call out for help. You know what I mean? We we can't imagine what other folks are going through. I think you and I are fine, <laughs> but other folks there, you know, they can't leave the house. They can't spend any money. They can't live their lives. They can't work. No as doubt, much as brother. people hate their jobs, working keeps them going, you know, it yeah. keeps them stimulated and stuff like that. So yeah. imagine just being stuck in the house. Dude, it's horrible. So, and, or being stuck in a street when you were working with homelessness, you know. Oh, and, my God. And what's yeah. the common, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing a commonality in everything that we're talking about, which is environment. Yeah. Yes. You know, and that's, that's a big key, I believe, anyways, as far as how it affects your mental state. Mm. Uh, so you were abused, right? Do you mind sharing exactly the type of abuse and what that environment was like around you? Uh, yeah. I mean, during, during the foster care days, uh, there were, um, I've never really spoken about this out like outwardly, but yeah, uh, actually prior to foster care day, I call it foster care days. Uh, you know, I was, I was molested as a kid, um, by an older woman and, you know, when you, when you look, when you're in those moments, you don't think about like, oh, this will, this, this is nothing. I'm, I'm a big boy. Cause the bigger girl is like, you know, she's toying with me. She's playing with me. Sorry about that. Hold on. Relax. <laughs> I'm talking to the doc. No, it's giving good, me anxiety. So the environment, oh man. <laughs> yeah. The environment. He's like, he hears me talking about this stuff is probably giving him anxiety. So anyway, um, yeah, I was, you know, when you're a kid messing with an older woman and then you're towing around and stuff like that, you think like, oh, I'm a big boy. Like, this is a good thing. But in, in the future, you don't realize how much that might affect you. It might affect, it might affect how you deal with other women, how you view the relationships that you're in. And then even during foster care days, you know, someone who I was looking up to at, at, a, at a point in time, you know, uh, touched me inappropriately and, uh, took advantage of me. You know what I mean? And I never really shared it on any type of platform or out, out, out loud for, for, for many, many years. Um, so I don't, I don't know if, you know, I don't know what those effects have had on me per se. You know, I don't know if it's affected how I look at relationships or how I've dealt with my relationships. 
I don't know if it's, I know that it has affected my, the way I look at other men. You know what I mean? I don't really have many guy friends and that's because there's a lack of trust there, I guess, because of that situation. Um, during my teenage years, you know, I keep a lot of women around me. I trust women more than men. Um, so maybe that's, you know, that's just me acknowledging what that might have. Women are great, dude. Men can be dicks, right? (laughs) Well, there's a thing with men, right? There's this power struggle. There's this ego, there's this competition, even when it's unset, unspoken, you know, it's, you could feel the energy. It's so thick. You could slice it in the air, like you slice it with a knife, you know? So I don't, I don't ever feel like there's that with me and women because I was raised by women, like I said, like without having a father or father figure per se, um, being raised by women, that's all I know. So I just kept a lot of women around me during like the teenage years. And even now I get along with them more. So I got two younger sisters, you know? So, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, that's interesting, man, because it's, it's um, it's almost kind of like shaped your environment now from what it sounds. You know, mm. and but in, in some ways, maybe even in the field that I'm in, actually, I didn't yeah. think of that because in this field, you don't find a lot of men in this field. And if there are men, they're in a different capacity, like a different section, like you said, in the tech, in the tech yeah. side or like, you know, in the background, so to speak. But a lot of frontline, there aren't a lot of men in this field. This is like a woman driven field. Yeah. So I don't know if that plays a part, too. But hey. Well, you could just be a very emotionally connected dude, you know, and I'm, mm. I'm the same way. And, you know, from what I found you're in too, tune. you're in tune. Yeah, you got it, tune. man. And yeah. females, women are, at least what I've found are generally more empathetic, you know, mm. and, and compassionate because I mean, that's the gifts, right? That's even the difference. It's not like a man can't be because I'm extremely compassionate, you know, and, but you and I, like I said, we're like connected dudes and yes. Yeah. there's and most men are raised to be the opposite right? yeah so, yeah so you know strength brawn you know all of that but there's also strength yeah. and compassion there's strength and Control, empathy power. oh my god yeah for yeah. sure and, toxicity yeah <laughs> it's, for the most part yeah. <laughs> it's fun walking into a room with, with all like testosterone jacked men you know and then they see you and it's it's like everybody wants to be around you but just because you're actually able to open yourself and connect with other people more well, just it, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's a man or a woman in the room or a woman. You know, yeah, yeah it's just you're able to actually listen. Be vulnerable. Yeah, right on. And yeah. that's a strength, yeah. too, man. Vulnerability is a huge strength, even in your line of work, because I mean, that's I, I saw your bullet points, you know, and I saw everything on your bio sheet. And I started highlighting the stuff that I wanted to talk about. And this is because this is the real stuff, man. You know, you know, it's great. You know, I've got a podcast, I've got a cybersecurity company going public, but when we start to get vulnerable like this, this is where we actually make true connection and where people that are listening to us, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's on stage, whether it's even just a one-on-one over a cup of coffee at a Starbucks, dude, this is where the connections are formed, you know, and we can share these stories because yeah, it's hard to, but anybody that's ever listening to this right now, if you can just understand that people connect when you're vulnerable and you can't expect if you've had troubles in your life you can't expect other people to try to reach in and like claw themselves open (laughs) or claw that you open to get their way into your heart you've got to expose that yourself and it's it's a tough first step man it's a really tough first step you know because i've been emotionally abused you know in my childhood i've been you know just sexually shamed even when i was 16 years old and it was uh, it was difficult for a little while just to even talk about that because 
of just that, you know, you're, it's like you take on the shame of the other people that they're projecting upon you. Mm. And it's hard to form yeah. that connection in that moment. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. It's very true. It's yeah. true. You're like, you're walking with someone else's burden, really. Like if you think about it, it's not, you're not, it's hard not to victimize yourself through those situations, but you do. But then in retrospect, it's like, like I never wanted to give up. That was my goal in life. Like from when I, when I was going through what I was going through, I said, I'm never going to give up. And if people tell you about Eris, they'll, they'll say the same thing. He never gives up. He won't stop. Like I might take a pause. I might like, you know, take a little break, go into my little cave and reflect and take some time to myself. But I come back 10 times harder with whatever it is, you know, like my podcast, it went through two different stages before it became what it is today. And sometimes it, it, that's like life, you know, you, you evolve, you, you shed skin, you shed a couple layers and then you become this, this thing that you've always wanted to become, you know, like how for, for you, what did, um, like what kept you going through those struggles and stuff like that, that you were going through or that Dude, you've been through in those moments. And I only realize it now is that, you know, cause at the same time, my, my dad died when I was 16, but I had a younger brother and sister, five and six years younger than me. So it was almost like this instinctual, I mean, this was like the, the guy thing, right? The, the protector, yeah, suck that, it up. exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, the yeah. just kicked in and like, okay, I got to control the situation, but I've got other people that I'm responsible for. Now, at this point, you know, and I even felt responsible for my mom in those moments, too, because she wasn't in her right mind. You know, she just lost the the love of her life, in essence, you know, and just was not there emotionally for my younger brother and sister for those years. You know, I was 16, so I was already matured emotionally past a certain point. But a 10 and 11 year old dude, that's a different story. You know, so I had to be there emotionally available for them in those moments. So even to this day, because of that. You know, we, of course, are siblings, but we never really had that real sibling type relationship, you know, because of the age difference and because of the trauma that existed at that point in life. So it's, yeah, the, I mean, we've all got our junk, right? We've all got our traumas. But now- I can relate to that, yeah. Yeah, for sure, dude. But there had to be like a, even with you, there had to be like a shift at some point because you were abused, right? Is yeah. it, you Did, also had, you, you never knew who your biological, do you know now who your biological father is? No, 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 no picture, no nothing, no name, no nothing. And I'm mixed, right? I'm of mixed race or whatever. So, you know, I was raised by the quote unquote black side of my family and uh, the other side uh, is unknown. Um, and you were saying something about, you know, your siblings, like my siblings and I also split up, you know, they were in their own uh, care and their own foster home or whatever. So I, I can relate to not being able to have that relationship that I always wanted to with my younger sisters at the time, you know, and we're connected today, you know, my mother's in our lives and, but, you know, it, I don't know. It just never, I don't know. The shift, the shift is still happening. This conversation is a part of that shift, you know, being able to speak freely about this. And you had mentioned like people just speaking, that's how you learn from one another. And hopefully like smart people learn from their own mistakes, but wiser people learn from the mistakes of others. So if we're not Ooh, sharing, that was beautiful. If we're not sharing information, sharing our experiences, speaking freely or being vulnerable, and how will we ever learn, you know? So we need to have forums like these and conversations and just, that's what the Who and How Club represents, just talking to people and strangers and getting to know 
you know, what makes you you? Like, how did you become the who that you are today? Like, who are you? Can you answer that? Rick, can you answer who you are? Dude, that's like, such a deep question, too, because it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the who you are is so different than even the what you, that you do, you know, and when yeah. you ask it, you know, what do you do, you know, or when you usually get the question, who are you, you know, it's like, yeah. well, I do this, you know, so for me, you define it's like, yourself by what you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. I'm. I'm just a dude, you know, I always start that when somebody <laughs> asks me the question, who you are, who are you, right? And I'm like, yeah. I'm just a dude who loves to bring truth into this world. Mm. You know, and that, that is, that's straight up who I am. Yes. You know, and the, everything else stems from that because everything about what I do, not who I am, can stem from exactly that. I'm just a dude who brings truth into this world. You know, because that comes to cybersecurity, that comes to the podcast, the conversations that we have right now when I speak from stages, dude, the movies that I produce, it's literally everything comes from that. So yeah, I can answer the question, but you're right. It's like, it almost becomes when you get that question, sometimes a lot of people will just go through bullet points of like a, a resume or accomplishments, resume, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or well, their I'm name a, even, you know, yeah. like your name, you're not your name. Like you do what you do because of who you are. But yeah. who you are is not what you do. Yeah, right on, man. Do you get what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not like that resume thing, like you're saying, like we, how do we define ourselves? How do we look at ourselves? Are we defining ourselves based off of what we do? Are we defining ourselves based on how the world says, you know, or looks at us? Like a lot of, it's a question that's, it's never ending probably, you know, like we're still figuring that out. We'll never know who we are until maybe we're not here anymore. I don't know. That could be. You know what I mean? Well, this got deep. Yeah. On that <laughs> note, dude, <laughs> what's uh, going through everything that you have? What's one yeah. thing that you think that you cannot live without? One th music, music, man, music. Uh, You're recording artist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just reading something last night. I'm working on some new music, obviously, but like, I, I read something last night that stated that um, I think in native culture, like dancing is a form of prayer. You know what I mean? It's a form of prayer to dance and to listen and to just, you don't even need music. You create your own music with your voice and stuff like that. But to dance is, is prayer or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, the way music has just helped me throughout my life. And I, I do, I truly believe that music has saved me just not only from creating my own, but just you know, just music in general and being able to dance and express yourself through music. You know, when you hear a song and it's like, yeah, that's my life right there. Like your sound, like I'll put, I'll put my iPod on shuffle every day because it's like my soundtrack and it always adapts to my feeling of the day, you know, like today's Tuesday. Let's see what the, what the playlist, what the soundtrack is for today. And it'll, it'll be that, you know, so music is important. I feel, and I could never live without that. That's awesome, man. What state of mind do you get into when you listen to music? <laughs> it depends on who I'm listening to, obviously, and what song. Yeah. But uh, or whether you're listening to it with somebody. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah that too. Yeah. I love my I love my old school R and B and stuff like that, like Aaliyah and Genuine, Missy Elliott, stuff like that. And that's for me. That's when music was actually good, especially in the hip hop realm. Uh, nowadays, the music you can't really connect to it. You know, like no one's really saying much. And that's my goal with my music to bring that storytelling aspect back and to share 
the depth and, and get into, get it, get into some real, um, deep stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, in my mind, I'll visualize like things, you know, whether it's, if it's a love song or there's a girl in the car with me and we're riding and, you know, just playing the beats together and just, just vibing. It's a vibe, you know, like music just sets that tone. You don't even have to speak. You just listen. So yeah. Right on. You can listen and be, I love that. Yeah. Cool, brother. I, what about, uh, sorry, what about me? What about me? <laughs> no, I was gonna. Have, yeah, yeah. Tell me, like, what? Uh, do you look do, at what you do as art? Oh, for sure it is. Yeah, and it's uh, when you get into cybersecurity, that's the reason it is art to me is because I don't necessarily focus on the technical side. Mm. It's completely the human side. It's the people side. Yeah. So when you look at it as an art, it's like you know, everything behind any hack that exists is an actual human being. There's a purpose that's generated by people behind the tech every single time. And that motivation can be money, that motivation can just be, you know, just for the thrill of it, you know, those are the hacktivists. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, those are called threat actors in this Mm -hmm. industry, but all the threat actors, they're freaking people, man. (laughs) Or even if it's like a government or something like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's people are, people are always behind everything. And that's this great thing that we have called life because people are always behind every single thing that we do. Look at music, music, you know, of course you've got like AI that's generating music now too. I don't know if you've heard any of that stuff, man, but it's, it's weird. It is weird. <laughs> so it is some weird. of it's okay, you know, but still even the AI, the AI has to learn. And who does the AI learn from? People, people, exactly. People feed at the data points, right? Well, they're saying some some fields of work are going to be replaced by you know by the robots and stuff like that. But you know, it's like I thank God that I'm in a field where people are still necessary to do the job because a robot can't connect with people on that in depth level or to help them with their 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 real concerns or the the issues that they're going through on a day-to-day basis so i thank god i chose this field like when you look back at your life and you're like oh this decision this decision spiraled into this where i'm at today i'm like thank you but could you uh, imagine social services getting replaced like the kiosks at mcdonald's or something like that (laughs) i think of like irobot irobot or something there you go like you choose what your issues are today on the on the screen at mcdonald's like yeah uh feeling depressed yeah All right. exactly. and then you get a receipt of it of like what to do now you know what i mean like yeah it's a weird time that we're in for sure dude with everything you've gone through in your life you know for someone who because there's a lot dude who have gone through similar circumstances what advice would you give to them <laughs> um i would say do not define yourself based on what other people say think or view you as you know, like in, you're an individual for a reason. And if you start defining yourself based on what other people say, whether good or positive, like, yeah, the positive stuff that people say about you or think about you are great, but you're not living for them anyway. You're not living to be accepted by others. You're living to shape your yourself, to, sh- to, to form and mold yourself into this being that is living. And, you know, I believe that this is a shell. So you got to really work on your internal stuff first, your spirit, your heart, your mind, your soul, whatever, and focus on that. Don't focus on what other people think of you, say about you or view you as, because they're not the ones, you know, paying your bills. They're not the ones sleeping with you at night. They're not the ones feeding you or putting food in your fridge. It's you that you have to worry about. And, 
and think about, you know, what kind of version of yourself that you want to be in this life. So I would say focus on that. I would say, you know, just be yourself, be yourself and, and be happy with yourself, you know, accept who you are <laughs> and, and run with that and work on becoming a greater version of that self that you, you know, and are learning to love, you know, and don't stop doing that. Never stop. Just never stop. <laughs> yeah, brother. You were talking about the shift too, you know, mm. and even like this conversation was the shift. Yes. Because you move into different seasons. How have your priorities changed over time? God, this guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> love your questions. Um, I'll be honest with you, Rick. There was a time where I wasn't a priority. You mean yourself, right? Correct. You to yourself. I yeah. I wasn't a priority at all. Everything else around me was a priority. Everybody else, girls, work, money, everything. Just I, I, I didn't know how to focus on myself. But now that shift that we're, you and I are, are talking about and referring to that, I understand now what it means to just be by myself and to focus and work on me on Eris, whoever Eris is, whoever Eris wants to be like, that's my, that's my, uh, that's my duty. That's no one else's duty. I can't depend on anybody else to shape me. I used to think that having, being in a relationship all the time was, was the thing, you know, and that's going to help me be, no, <laughs> I need to just be with me. So, you know, my focus and that shift is, is a representation of what just self-growth is supposed to look like and self-love, self-care. These terms are kind of corny nowadays because we see it being used in so many different forms and online, on Instagram, whatever. But it's just the truth. Like you got to focus on you. You got to work on you. How can you be good for someone else if you're not good to yourself? How can you trust anyone else if you don't trust you? Imagine not trusting yourself. Like not, I don't trust myself enough to do this or to make this decision, but you'll trust another being to, to make the decision for you. It's weird. It's weird. It is weird, but, isn't it, man? Yeah. Yeah. So it's all, it's about, it's about you. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be. Cause it, you know, yeah. I, I was using the example, uh, it was just the other day about talking about a, you know, a glass of water, you know, like this right here, you know, and it wasn't like the half empty, half full thing, mm. but it was more, you know, it's like, if you, you know, cause this is, this is like, there's half in here right now. See, I didn't yes. even say either half empty or half full. There's half yes. in this cup right it's just now. half. Yeah. Yeah. But if I give this away, dude, <laughs> yeah, if I give this away, I'm giving from a position of scarcity. You know, it's like, mm. here, have a drink, here, have a drink. But if I'm not constantly filling this up, the cool thing is that when you constantly fill it up, it's like the overflow of this spills mm. on to everything mm. else around it. And mm. that's how you have, that's in a position of abundance that you have to come at other people with is, but first it, it just, it, you have to fill yourself up first. If you, if you got to do for yourself, that's the only way you're going to overflow into other people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that moment, dude, when you realize that you're the one, you know, because th th there, there is like a realization, right? You know, mm. how can people seize that moment or even come to that realization themselves? Well, you got to have you got to take some time to reflect because nine times out of ten, it's it's being shown to you in many different ways. You're just not embracing it or accepting it because there is a fear aspect, right? You don't want to be alone. Who wants to be alone? Who wants to not be around people or have some sort of abundance of love from another individual and gratify, like 
there's a, but, but there are so many signs being shown to you that like, you know what, what you need to do right now is work on you. This relationship you're in, these friendships, your family ships, you know, like you don't need to be surrounded by all, it's like a, what's the word? It's gratuitous, you know, like you're just, it's just too much of all of that. But the, the too much is, is the you that you need, you know, you need a lot of you. So when you start to see those signs, the, the advice I would give is to embrace it and make those changes. If it means that you got to cut off some people, separate yourself from the herd, you know, take a break, stop partying every weekend, you know, separate yourself from the unhealthy things. Like you'll start to see a shift in yourself and in your life. A lot of people, they're friends with people because just because that they, just because they went to, to school with them, like from grade three and onward. So these are my friends forever. But what if that same friend is like a bad friend? Are you telling me you're not going to cut them off just because they've been in your life for so long? Like, take that step, make some room for new friends. Like you can't, <laughs> like you got to make those yeah. adjustments. And I think the universe sends you those signs in many ways. We just choose to turn a blind eye to them. You know what it's I mean? It's almost like so, rain, right? I, I see rain. There's, there's drops. If it's, if truth is rain. Right. And I'm visualizing this. I'm seeing this in my head right now, too, man, because it's if truth is talk, rain. I'm, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm yeah. going to visualize it. Talk to awesome. Yeah. Everybody who's listening, the, we'll, we'll end with this today because this is yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Visualize that rain around you because that rain, every bit around you is like truth. You can't mm. freaking avoid it. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's getting you wet. <laughs> it's right there. And it's literally soaking you. But mm. it's almost like walking through and, you know, that maybe we're back to that control. They're like, well, I'm not wet. You know, this, this really isn't, <laughs> really You're isn't in denial. that wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wet. yeah. <laughs> it's like, one. that's not yeah. truth. But yeah, yeah, man, I mean, you're right. The universe, you know, whatever your source is always shows you all around <laughs> you, you know, and th that's what it is. It's like just, the, I guess the only way you can avoid it is just, you know, not standing out in the rain. Jeez. <laughs> the rain's still the there. Rain. You yeah, can still yeah. see the rain through the window from whatever house you're hiding in. Yes. It's still there. That's it's why you got to embrace it. Yeah. Just run out in the rain. Just run and out. I love Ooh. it, dude. Because your, uh, your bio says sometimes dancer. But dude, I, uh, dancing in a nice warm rain is kind of fun. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. That's... <laughs> <laughs> dude, I think back when I was a kid, dude. When I yeah, was a kid, yeah, it was like one of the. It's like, well, it's raining. Who cares? I'm gonna play out in the rain. You know? just play out in the rain. Yeah. Man. Oh man, that's that's awesome. Because I I didn't care. I didn't care. I feel, yeah. We need to get back to not caring, man. Who cares who's it. watching? Who cares who's watching? Climb a tree. Doesn't matter how old you are. Like, you know, just run, just run, just dance, just feel, just be present, embrace it. I love it. Brother Eris, thank you so much for being on, my man. This no, has Rick, been amazing and super deep. And thanks great. for opening up, great. dude. Appreciate cool, brother. it. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.